Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Today's guest is very well known in the sports world. He's Sunday game pundit, but he captained Clare to their first All-Ireland in, I don't know how many decades, back in... 1995. It's a pleasure to welcome Anthony Daly. Now, Anthony, only last week I watched a video of that summer when Clare won the All-Ireland and the reaction in Clare and what it meant to Clare. And maybe you have to be from a Clare family to appreciate what it meant. That's it, Des, I suppose. Um, it was just uh, years and years of uh, pent Obviously, that, that show you saw was all clear, what a year. And that was very staged, of course. Bits of it were. Bits of it, I suppose, yeah. at the time we were saying, you know. Uh, but look, it was still, it did mean, you know, I mean, sure, people just thought it would never happen and then for it to happen <laughs> the way it did as well. Yeah. And the drama and the final seconds and just the uh, whole outpouring afterwards, it was incredible. Well, what struck me, and maybe it's because I'm older now, looking at you, you were 25 and effectively you became a representative and a spokesperson for Clare and for all those who had failed to achieve the success. And you remembered them all in your famous speech. You remembered everybody who, who wasn't part of it and those who had worn the jersey. And in a way, it was a, a big thing for a young man to carry on, on, on his shoulders. Yeah, and probably suffered a bit as, uh, you know, in the, in the months afterwards, you know, being, you know, like, look, making that speech in Crow Park, it was easy. I'd say, as I often said, if I just went up and said, thanks a million lads and thanked awfully and got off the, the stage, no one would have mattered. It was zero pressure, you know. Yeah. And it kind of just flowed out of me. We had done well in the match and the match had finished well for myself. And, you know, but like, I tell you, like a month later, or a, a civic reception and maybe 800 people in the West County Hotel and you having to stand up and make a speech like, <laughs> without any great training or anything like that. It used, to, it used to kill me going off to being invited to dinner dances and, and that sort of thing. It was, uh, yeah, that was a, you had to learn. I, I, I taught the giant Toastmasters one stage to see what I overcome this stuff. But look, it, you, you keep going, I suppose that's what you do. And I suppose look at uh, even finishing up and going on to things like the Sunday game with yourself and, and the lads and all that helps and you become comfortable in your own skin, I suppose, the older you ah, get. But that's, that's 25 years later, Anthony. I mean, I think that's really interesting. You looked so happy and comfortable in the role, but did you find it difficult then, all of those speeches you had to make? Yeah, well, I I was perfectly... I tell you, for the for the 97 final two years later, I was nervous wrecked. Like, I don't know why. It was just completely... If Tip had come back and beat us, all the good that was going to be undone and, of course, I'd been giving big speeches below in Cork after the Munster final as well. So, um, and, and they didn't like that. And But that day, no, Jesus, sucking old sense of karma there's about that day that just, um, you know, I, did, I just, everything went well right through to that night and <laughs> uh, the old banquet and it just, ah, it was just magnificent, the homecoming. Uh, but just then as, as the few weeks went on, it just, oh, look, I, yeah, sure, I may have to talk, but... Um, I tell you, I speak, at the amount of dinner dances I fiddled with the dinner 
before the chairman went up to speak and then the parish priest and then me as the guest and try and make them laugh, you know, yourself. <laughs> it can be tough, you know, it can be tough. But you just learn, I suppose. And again, like anything else, I, what I found over the years, if you don't prepare, you'll struggle. So you prepare as best you can and find out if you anecdotes about where you're going and what you're talking about. And you, uh, that's, a, that's a huge help, I suppose. And I know, but you're... a couple of notes in the pocket. You're an amateur, though, and it's not like... And you, you're still meant to be training with Clare, and but but Clare had it, it transcended Clare. I mean, it, 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 the county old people. I think it meant more to older people, obviously. Yeah, and like you know, even people all over the world. There's yeah, older people, especially you now. That that's that's huge. I mean, obviously, we'd like to think we kind of inspired the lads of thirteen as well. I suppose and they they're hopefully inspiring a new generation now. The Flannans lads winning the hearty, but for older people, like I. You know, I remember meeting uh, my brother's father-in-law, Jimmy Casey. He was a great um, J-man and had, would have been at the 55 Munster final, the torture ones, you know. And <laughs> like, meeting him going up for the Munster Cup, like, and he was just, you know, tears running down his face. And that, and then we went off. We subsequently brought the Cup to New York and Boston. And uh, God, the welcome, like, from the immigrants, you know, that, what it meant to them. And mm. I remember this, we, a speech at Yonkers racetrack that I had to make. And, you know, a lot, an awful lot of my family had immigrated to London, predominantly my father's family, yeah. um, and a load of first cousins in London. But I, the first line of the speech was, I come from an immigrant family myself. <laughs> and, you know, I suppose it just resonated with them that, yeah. you know, we all kind of had lost people to, to immigration and that kind of thing and what it meant to them to, to be connected with us over there. Just even watching some of the scenes from the homecoming there and, uh, yeah, it was great. Like, coming back, for me, coming back to Clare Castle was was magic and I would have loved it was about an hour earlier because we'd have had daylight but <laughs> it was something magic about coming back in the dark as well you know and the bonfires and, and all that goes with that so that was yeah it was look time of our lives there's no no getting away from that Your first musical choice Anthony Daly hurling related but with the club Well yeah there's uh, I broke on Clarecastle had, had a, just a great period at the late 80s we, w- we would have went back to back minors 86 and 87 and a pile of us would have graduated to a great senior team that the only time we ever put back-to-back championships uh, was 86 and 87 to our eternal shame now because we had teams capable of doing it but we were always kind of disasters. We cele- over-celebrated everything. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. we'd we done the back-to-back and got a medal in, in 87. I was a minor but I, I was on to the panel and played a couple of rounds and came on as a sub and was taken off as well in a couple. But of course, I was only learning my trade and eventually got on the team in 88 but we, we agonisingly going for the three in a row which we would have had a great chance for a uh, loss to Rouen with a last-minute goal. Um, and then Fiekel, Sherlock Nance, obviously went on to get his, just before he retired, to get his county medal uh, with Fiekel because we couldn't really begrudge him either, but we great rivalry with him. But anyway, the club were great, grateful and the boys decided they might organise a trip for, um, you know, late the autumn of, of 88 to, to, you know, great times to win the two minors, two seniors and a load of us of course then were only just starting out and on our kind of social careers as well. <laughs> so uh, number one around September uh, 1988 was uh, the, the the legend Bobby McFern, great ja- jazz man, but more like a, you know, a, um, Bob Marley type guy but uh, he, he released a single. I think it originally came from the movie Cocktail and it just got kind of catchy from that, the mm-hmm. Tom Cruise movie and, and uh uh, he released it and of course it went to number one and uh, it was number one for a few weeks around then and everyone was kind of doing it so we were going off to London I was just starting college in Limerick um, 
life was good days, you know. And we even wrote our own version. Well, Barney Lynch did uh, one of our main characters with a guitar. And we had our own version, which is not for repeating on radio. <laughs> um, going over, but God, like every time you met somebody and they'd be in a, in a jocker, as the dubs would say, yeah. <laughs> the following morning, they just say, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> you know, so brilliant. That was my first experience really being outside the country as well. And it was just, uh, it, was, it was a trip to remember. My brother Pascal sadly passed away 10 years after that, uh, but he was young that time and sure look at he all his buddies were on the team really that he grew up with so meeting up with him and the only sensible thing we did the whole weekend is I think myself and Fergie too he, Pascal brought us back to his apartment for a proper dinner <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the three days just to get one good bit of food into us Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1 Don't Worry Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin the choice of today's guest Anthony Daly now, Anthony, Claire, music, as you mentioned in your famous speech in 95, the music is is as important as the hurling. Yeah, it is. And, and look, at, I, I probably refer to it as, as that it was it was often said to us on the pitch as well, you know, <laughs> stick to your traditional music and, you know, go way back now to doodle and play your music for yourselves. And, you know, <laughs> things were hot and heavy on the field. And, ah, look, we were very proud. My own my own grandfather played for the Tully, played, played the drums for the Tully Kelly Band for years. Like when nobody could get to the States in the 50s without going for good, he went over and played Carnegie Hall with the Tulla. And, you know, we're very proud of that as a family. And, you know, um, but we had the FLA in NSC. It came back 2016 and, and 2017. And I think the first year is a brilliant success. And we, we didn't know what to expect. But then everyone was really ready for 17. And, of course, a few of the great music people and um, a few of the lads in the, in the Kilfenora Cayley band just decided they wanted to do something special. And they worked on it right through the spring, I think, and coming up with a kind of a new clear anthem. And uh, they launched the, the song on the night with Kilfenora Cayley with the three vocalists and uh, the Tulla Pipers and a backing choir from our own Clarecastle and Bellier Youth Choir. And it was in the market square in the town and God almighty. Within, I think within three days, of course, uh, it was the modern age at this stage, unlike the trip to London, mm. uh, it was an internet sensation. Uh, it was called Claire, My Heart, My Home. And I think it's kind of nearly a new a new anthem uh, for for Claire people now. And it, it, it just fittingly, you know, uh, summed up what what music means to Clare and 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 how people will be welcome back in Clare once this virus is over. But stay away for the moment, let you lads. Um, yeah. Do you know? But look, sad old connotation for me as well because you know, uh, my brother-in-law Martin Eilish's brother, we lost him last September um, to you know after a nine-month battle with cancer and young man, young young enough family and. Um, just back in Carrigahall to where he had moved back to live uh, with Anne and the three lads. And, and as we were bringing the coffin, he loved it. He loved the song. Like he always had it on in the van when he'd be working and go uh, bringing the coffin into the church. Like that was the music that was blaring out. And I don't think there was a dry eye in, in Carrigahall, you know, so it, it meant an awful lot to everybody, I think. And it is, a, it's a fantastic song. Anyone that hasn't heard it, I think would fall in love with it straight away. It's so, it's so well put together. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Claire, my heart, my home there. Uh, the choice of today's guest, Anthony Daly. Pretty powerful. You went from playing into management. How, how did you find management? Yeah, I, I, I was probably an addict, Des. You know, I, I could, like, hurling's been my life, really. And, you know, most things I've done in life have to be, 
you nearly you know the suit hurling it's not great at the moment like you know yeah. but uh, look at it um, yeah I, it just came along clear I managed clear straight I played a county final literally on a Sunday in 03 and I was clear manager I think three and a half weeks later and God we hit the crossbar like in 205 against that great Cork team that won back to back we were six points up with 13 minutes to go and God, it was it was torturous, and I, I subsequently did the three years there. Took a break. I often said like it was probably a mistake overall. Do you know that like, I should have got a bit of experience, but the boys were never any problem. You were, de- you were dealing with the Lohans, Davy, Colin Lynch, James E, Ollie. You know, um, and they they were superb. Like they they wanted me to do the job, so they gave it everything. You never had to. There's the crew coming after them. You had to keep an eye on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the younger brigade, but they. You know, the lads set the standards, I suppose, so they were great. And such a pity we didn't pull an All-Ireland out of it. But where I had all the luck playing, I hadn't had, you know, much luck with with Clare anyway managing. But sure, look, I still really enjoyed it, though. And I I wouldn't take it back for for a minute. And yeah, and then I subsequently took a break, I suppose, really, and and did a bit of work with the Sunday game for a couple of years. And then just got a phone call out of the blue from the great John Costello to would I meet him and... I suppose the rest is history. Spent six years above with the dubs and, uh, you know, grew to love it. Yeah. Travelling was tough at the start, but you get to kind of get used to that. And uh, grew to love it and grew to love them as well. You know, they were such great, different characters. It was a whole experience for me and I really, really enjoyed it. Well, well just one thing before we go to the dubs. So y- you mentioned there, like, in, in naming the team that you were manager of, you named all the lads you played with. How strong is is the bond in a team that wins in All-Ireland. It's incredible, Des. I mean, but we would we would go off every year um, somewhere, some provincial town. Now, I couldn't go last year because of a funeral, but uh, the lads went to Tullamore and had a ball. And, you know, we've been Galway, Kilkenny, uh, you name it. We've, we've hit it off to Dingle and we played a game of golf and then the night is, is crack after that. And it's like, you, don't, you might run in, especially since I moved back west, and um, the old sport shop, I wouldn't, you know, while I was in Ennis in the sport shop for the 16 and a half years, I would meet an awful lot of them very regularly. But since we just moved back west, um, I wouldn't so much. But but you, a great sign of any relationship with anyone is when you don't meet them for so long and you can just meet them and it's like, yeah. you know, no bother. <laughs> yeah, Away yeah. you go again, how's things? Yeah, yeah. You know, so and that that is the way with the squad. It's, it's fantastic, you know, and... Uh, even, as I said, meeting them to get measured for the suits and stuff um, because there was going to be a few fundraisers for the Clare Hurlers of this year yeah. uh, that were planned but obviously have to be cancelled so we had to get suits for those um, because we were going to be the team of the night. Uh, so, God, great crack, like about measuring for the suits and slagging each other about, you know, about the only one that could have still fitted into the same suit as he did in 95 was Jamesy. We said, can't you use the one you did in 95, you know? Yeah. Great crack, great crack. And then came that time where you ended up having a great love affair with the dubs as well. But did you find the Dublin culture different to the Clare culture? The humour, the... Uh, yeah, yeah. Huge, huge shock at the start. And, and you know, how laid back they were about it. And I suppose how fanatical we were and, and had, had become under Gerald, like And right straight through then, we'll say, Cyril took over. Cyril brought him to the final in 2 I did 04, 05, 06. Then I think Mike Tony did a year. Mike came on and Mike Mack and he brought him to a monster fund. So like you knew the intensity levels and the savagery was always there. You know, we didn't always win, obviously, but God, it was it was it was more than life hurling. Like it was just the clear team and the follow on and everything. 
and then I just came up to these relaxed bunch of lads who <laughs> obviously were making good underage progress, you know, having won a colleges all Ireland as a combined colleges and, you know, had won Leinster Minor and Leinster twenty one, but God, yeah, I, I the first few sessions I took them myself, I just couldn't believe the pace the whole thing was going at, you know. So there was a few of the Jerlock Nan style rollicans <laughs> in all sorts of places because we we struggled to get places to train, you know. But um yeah, we had to set new tones and I even never forget the first uh, league match. It was away to the Cork team that were on strike. Well, the team that weren't on strike yeah. officially, so you should have been beating them like it was a Cork third team and we had gone down and stayed in a lovely hotel and big meeting before we, we went in on the bus to Parky Keeve and next thing I heard, and I'm sure it was Alan Nolan from the back of the bus saying, oh, some goal by Berbatov. <laughs> and me, <laughs> and in my mind, we're going to war. Like, you know, <laughs> this was the match that was going to secure Division 1 for us, you know. And, uh, yeah. boy, jeez, I tell you, I let it go anyway. We won the match, I think, eight or nine points without, not without getting a scare. And uh, on the Tuesday night, I tell you, Dimitri Berbatov here to got a, a rollicking on, on, uh, down no tool park. But uh, yeah, you had to you had to set the tone, but we had great lads as well who, who wanted to achieve this and, and that was the big thing. You wrote a very funny article recently about that you found there was a difference between the North Siders and the South Siders in the squad. Uh, there absolutely was, yeah, yeah. The North Siders were you know, we had a we'd have a pile of O'Toole lads, O'Toole's lads who who maybe they were they were coming near the end of their great O'Toole's team. Um, They're North Siders now for listeners who in, don't know. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Lauren saw tools um, and they just were great characters. You know, you knew by them straight away. They were, there was devilment in them, you know, and I kind of liked that. I mean, even though I was captain for years with Lucknan. I suppose the reason nearly I was kept as captain is I could get, I could get on with the fellas who hadn't too much devilment, but then I, I was in the ticket of devilment as well, you know, so, um, and that was, I suppose, I enjoyed them, I enjoyed them, and you had to whip them into line every so often, and you'd always get a reaction off them then, because they were really good lads, like, as well, you know, I think the, the two Rhines, and, uh, you know, and obviously I named out the, the five associates then, being the two cartons, Alan Nolan, who all lived on the west side, really, Castlenock, Blanchestown area, but the boys still hurled for, the, the father was a great, great player, Old Pether and uh, the two cartons still hurled for a tools. Explain the associates. And um, quick story, Des, I suppose we were on a training camp in in, in um, Portugal. Uh, great, fantastic, like, but the socialising had to be kept to a limit. And But still there was a bit of mess. And of course, there's 30 lads over there. And one night anyway, the, the fire alarm was put set off. And we had a fair idea where it was coming from. And we had the boys in together because I was a great believer in that. Let, let lads be comfortable together, you know, if they're out there for a week and have their own crack. Because you'd be mingling plenty anyway with all the things we had planned. Uh, but we, we decided the safest one was to bring in Rory Trainer, the budgie, as he's known as from Vincent's, and a, a great footballer, great hurler as well, cornerback, small in stature, but he'd give you absolutely his last ounce of, of blood, like, you know. But we said budgie would be the most honest of them in general. So we called him in and uh, in in front of the management, like myself, Richie, Hedge. And, and like still trying to keep in the laughing nearly at the same time you know yeah. I suppose just story with the fire alarm like you know not good enough at all like we've young lads on this trip well, nothing to do with us day long <laughs> you know so uh, I suppose it came from your apartment like I, I can call the manager in here now if you want so we were beginning to, beginning to break him anyway and he says look at 
It wasn't me, but it might have been one of my associates. <laughs> so we just, we exploded laughing and he laughed and he says, what are you laughing at like? <laughs> so we let him off anyway and we, we made him do a load of running or something yeah. extra the following day, the, the five of them had uh, forever more though afterwards. I think this was about 11, 2011. They were known as the associates yeah. <laughs> until 2014 and uh, God, were they, were they gas men, you know, and uh, they were up for any kind of crack. But they would always give you everything as well, like, you know, but we, we knocked some mileage out of the associates, yeah. And of course you had great success then with Dublin Hurling winning the league, the Leinster title, and, and your third piece of music kind of reminds you of that time. Absolutely, Des, yeah. I, I was always trying to bring my clear gimmicks with me, I suppose, and, you know, something we'd have done was was maybe play a bit of music or something going in on the bus and... Uh, yeah, so I, I thought, you know, one of my favourite songs anyway, when especially I knew the Dubliners and Luke Kelly's version, but when when Sinead O'Connor uh, came together with the Chieftains and, and released the Foggy Dew, God, I think we all went, wow, what a version, you know, and um, fantastic song, obviously, for people who be, wouldn't know it about the rebellion in 16. And again, I, I tried to twist it then, of course, you know, that the, the dubs were kind of let down by the rest of the country, but sure we all know that was just a kind of a miscommunication between Pierce and Redmond and, and the, the troops were ready to rally in Dublin, but the message went with skew ways and it wound up nearly as the dubs against the, the British the British army. And, uh, you know, there was lines on the song, like, you know, the second verse, like there's a line, right proudly high o'er Dublin town, hung day out the flag of war you know and I always used to get the lads thinking you know we're going to war here and like it was look, it was great we used it going down to play Wexford in 09 we forgot about losing the Leinster final of course and uh, <laughs> you know uh, we thought to drop it then after a disastrous uh, you know um, 10 and then 12 or 11 I should say we used it going into the league final and it used to be a pantomime days trying to time it I used to be nearly uh, have the stopwatch on between the lights at the bottom of the Malahide Road from Fairview up to the, <laughs> the tunnel of the Cusack so the song was just finishing when you got there you yeah, know but yeah. it often got stuck with traffic and all that kind of thing on days but I think we dropped it after 2012 when we were so bad against Kilkenny and then against Clare and Ennis and uh, we said no no just listen to your own music <laughs> on the bus but then when we made that fantastic fantastic breakthrough in 13 uh, we 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 didn't use it on going in, but I'll tell you, was it played on the way up to the Sunnybank Hotel up to meet our great friend Peter Garvey, where he's the regularly adjourned to after the Crow Park Games. And uh, the, it was blaring uh, on the bus on the way over. Uh, just the, the joy of that night will, will live with me for a long time. They're great memories. Anthony Daly, thanks very much for joining us. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.